Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spiritual Journey podcast. This is episode 50. Wow, loving the milestone and um, excited for this episode. So as we record this, um, 2023 is in full energy, full going. Um, recording this on, on Monday the 9th. Just, I guess, want to mention the full moon energy has been super intense with the, the planets in retrograde. So, you know, yeah. whatever you're feeling right now, know that um, everything that's happening is for happening for a reason and is serving you. But before we get going even more, I'd love to introduce my co-host, so ask her to introduce herself, but I'll give a quick intro before we do. Introducing the amazing, the stunning, the beautiful the healer of Shauna Dan's soon-to-be-published author, Stacey Brown. Stacey, over to you. Hi, Nims. It's so good to be here. I can't believe that we are on episode 50. We've been recording together since these episodes were back in the teens, which is so crazy that we've recorded that many episodes, but I'm really looking forward to this one today. Friends, my name is Stacey. I'm an intuitive healer and a certified Reiki practitioner. I'm a spiritual mentor, an Akashic record reader, and I'm in the final stages of getting ready to publish my first book. So a lot of exciting things happening that we're going to talk about today. And Nims, you've got to tell everybody who you are. Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Nims. I'm a podcast host, uh, also a spiritual coach, mentor, and Akashic record reader. And, you know, the records, and we've had, we've talked about it in the previous episode, really changed my life. They're the records guided me to start this podcast, uh, guided me to connect with Stacey, um, really kind of even the mentorship program, which is changing lives, which really guide people to shine their light. All of it kind of was guided through the records. So I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to get to episode 50. And I remember when I started this, podcast my intention was really to share whatever spiritual knowledge whenever it comes to, comes from just to guide people that maybe this journey isn't as complicated as you make it so Stace I'm, I'm super excited to be sharing this space with you we always always start the podcast by talking about how important it is to shine a light and shine a light on ourselves even more when we shine a light on ourselves even more and prioritize ourselves it means that our light becomes so much brighter. We can help ourselves and many other people so much more. So I always love to start the episode with asking you, Stacey Brown, how, are you, how have you shone the light on you today? What does that look like for you? You know, I had a super busy weekend and it was nearly impossible for me to get exercise in. The weather was really cold. And um, I decided to hit the reset button for the start of the week. And so there is something extremely therapeutic to me about moving my body. So I made sure that I got a workout in this morning and dedicated some time to myself. And I'll tell you what, it always shifts my day in such an incredible way. So that's how I got started. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest this weekend. The last few days have been super intense, a lot going on. Um, so I struggled to prioritize myself today, if I was to be honest, but what I did do when I got up in the morning is I spent some time in silence. I spent some time just feeling the energy around me, feeling my guides, my soul family around me, feeling how protected I am. 
and just in silence. And whenever I do that, there's an energy around me. I feel it and it kind of props me up for the day. So that's how I started my day. And yeah, today's been super busy. Um, feel blessed with all the work we've, we've been doing today, Stace, all the things that, all the exciting things that we've got going on. And I feel it's all relevant to the episode that we, we're talking about today. So the episode today is called Journey to Soul Center. And I'm also excited as part of this episode, we're going to share a chapter from Stacey's upcoming book. So Stacey, I'm going to really, I really want you to introduce um, this episode in terms of Journey to Soul Center, what it means to you and, um, you know, kind of how that vision came about and what and maybe share more details about your book and all the whole process and what's happening at this moment. So Stace, over to you. So this has been such a journey. Uh, I, I always wanted to write a book, you know, probably in the dark recesses of my mind, it was something that if I had time, I would write a book. I had always thought about it growing up. Um, my experiences with religion and the way that my programming was as a child, I just felt like there was something there. But it wasn't until um, the experience that I've shared here on previous episodes, for those who don't know, um, three and a half years ago, my 17-year-old son plummeted into a battle with both mental health and substance abuse issues. And at about this time, four years ago, he uh, overdosed on a cocktail of household substances, and it was terrifying. And four months later, he attempted to take his own life, and he chose to do that by running his car into a tree at 100 miles an hour. And it placed him in a major hospital in Baltimore, in the, the biggest city near where we live, in shock trauma, fighting for his life. And during that time, I had some life-changing spiritual experiences that led me on a journey of self-discovery. You know, I often tell people that the day that he made that decision to crash his car into a tree it was as if he put the whole family in the car with him. And we all came out with different injuries and we all came out with a different avenue of healing and a different timeline for healing. <clears throat> and for me, it took me on a deep spiritual journey of self-discovery. Um, though I have always been a pretty spiritual person, I had struggled with how I was going to use my gifts and abilities to help other people. I knew it was something I wanted to do even before this, this horrifying um, time period with my son, I had really gotten involved with um, a, like a non-denominational community Christian church. And I was baptized in that church and I was really exploring religion and spirituality and how to be connected. And though I wanted to serve in that environment, 
there's something really uncomfortable for church leaders when you go to them and say, I'm intuitive and I want to help people. <laughs> for some reason, it's one of the spiritual gifts that seems to be shrouded in stigma and doesn't seem to be readily accepted. But even in the Bible, there's documentation of people who knew things and had visions and intuitive impressions about things that were that were happening in the world and i trusted i trusted my abilities but i didn't trust where i was going to use them when i met you nims i was still in a place of being a wounded mother i was still grieving the loss of the life that I had known prior to my son and, and this crash. I had been a very successful business owner in the community. I stopped working to sit bedside and take care of him. Uh, once we had him stable, I went through a surgery of my own that had me laid up in bed for three months and then needing another surgery to, to follow shortly after that. And was like God, the universe was saying, we're taking you in another direction. Like whether you're ready or not, we're not asking you, we're telling you <laughs> that, that you're going into a new season. And as I started to process some of the pain through spaces like the social media app Clubhouse, I really started to understand that I had been given a story that needed to be told and that there were lessons that I was acquiring through the process of healing from this that I couldn't just share in small snippets here and there, which for a while worked. You know, I, I was on Clubhouse kind of sharing some of the intuitive abilities I had. I was sharing bits and pieces of what had happened to our family. And it was like just these divine events that kept happening um, and one of the big things was the first trip that I took to the UK, meeting you in person for the first time. I am not somebody who's traveled a lot in my life. My job doesn't require that. In the past, I, I was pretty isolated and I live in a, a small town, rural community. And that trip for me opened up a whole other part of the world, both literally and figuratively. And when I came to visit you, um, you shared with me some of the work of your mentor, Sidra Jaffrey, who has since left this realm. And she wrote a book. And you handed me her book and I held it in my hands. And I felt this overwhelming conviction that I was meant to take the story of what our family had been through and the lessons that I had learned through that journey and impart that wisdom into other people. So on my second visit to come see you, I thought I was coming to the UK to study Sidra and to study her work. Yeah. And we had, we had like talked a little bit about a book but yeah, we had written a list of things that we wanted to work on. And the book was one of those things on the list. Yeah. But I went out on one specific day 
towards the end of a month long stay with you. And I came back to your house and was very convicted that the book needed to happen. And I didn't really understand it. I remember. It. I, remember. Yeah, I, I didn't really understand it. I really didn't know how it was going to work. You know, I, I was, I was totally ignorant to like the ins and outs of the process. I just knew that it had to happen. And I remember sitting in your kitchen at your home and writing down bullet points of the timeline of my life. And I'll never forget it. We were, you know, mid brainstorming session and you were like, I can't believe you've been through all of this. Yeah. <laughs> I remember saying, I can't, I don't think one human should have been through as much as, as you have. And even in the book, I think you just touch on some of what you, it's like, how do you cover all of that in a book? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because even as we're sitting here talking about it right now, um, the one thing that I didn't want was I didn't want to trauma dump. I didn't want to go through the story of my life and just say like, here's me and all the pain that I've been through. I wanted to really be reflective and take an inner journey and take the reader on a journey of understanding the deeper meaning in some of the things that we've experienced. So we kind of sat down with this, you know, the bullet points and the timeline of events and made that like the framework for what we were going to do with the book. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Like, I don't know how I'm going to venture into the past and, and reliving things. I think something that people don't tell you about writing a book, and this is, this has just been my experience, is that it's one thing to recount a portion of your story to another person and to tell them like, hey, this is what I've been through. I went through this crazy event this weekend or whatever, and to relive that. But when you're writing a book and you're going through the whole story, you have to take the reader on a journey like they're there experiencing it with you. So you have to relive in all five senses what happened to you, like the details of it, not just visually what it looked like, but what it felt like, what it smelled like, what it sounded like. And we, we started to get into it. And it was from from day one. It was profound. Yeah, I, I remember the depths of what you had to go through because you were so determined to take the reader on a journey. And that, for me, is a part of the book. I don't know if every author does it, right? I mean, I've only had I've worked with you on your book, and I've seen that you have had to go to the darkest places of what you've been through multiple times um, to really take the reader on a journey and kind of really help people feel like they're there with you. Whether it's the written or the audio version of the book, um, that's a skill, right? To really feel like I'm there with you. I mean, I've had the, the pleasure in many ways 
but also it's painful to watching a friend be in that much pain, but to sit with you while you've been recording the book two or three times, because obviously we've had different revisions, different updates, etc. And it's that, it's, yeah, I had no idea what I was getting into either when, you know, when you came back that day um, from being out for the day, it's like, I think you had a week left and it's like there was a knowingness in you that you came back and it's like, I've got to, we've got to get this book out. I'm like, okay. And now you, you, and you're like, no, you don't understand. You have to get this book out as soon as possible. Like, yeah. Okay. I'm with you. And I had to trust, right. There was something that came over me, which just, I knew that I was meant to guide and help in whatever way I could. So I was like, let's jump in. And literally you'd already spent three weeks in the UK. We'd done lots of other work. And in the last week we kind of became obsessed with recording the book. Yeah, and I think the the thing that's so important to add to this is there was a lot of stuff happening in my personal life at the same time. Um, you know, I when I landed back in the U.S. after my first trip, I I hadn't even left the the airport grounds from landing before I knew that I was supposed to come back to the U.K. and I was supposed to be there for a month, and it was a prompting that I had. And though my family acted like they were supportive. Ultimately, my husband was not supportive. And I was, I don't even know if it was conscious at the time, but subconsciously I was choosing myself. And I was saying, what I have to do to heal from this is more important than anything else in my life. And I think that's where we come into the, the journey to soul center. Um, you know, I just realized, is this the first time we're sharing the title of your book? Yes. The title of the book is journey to soul center, discovering the gift of surrender. And this is the first time that we're telling everyone the name of the book. Way friends. How cool is that? Yeah. Just had the reveal. Yeah. Stacy has just revealed the name of her book. Yeah. And it was, it was a deep journey. Um, it wasn't just the events that I went through in my life leading up to it, but even the process of the book was venturing into the very core of my soul and who I am in order to take the lessons that I had learned and impart that wisdom into others. And I... I believe that Clubhouse, the social media app that we talk about quite a bit, was a huge part of me going on this journey to self-discovery. Um, that's where you and I met. That's where I met a lot of the original Soul Center team, the club that I have on Clubhouse. And so many lessons were happening in this time as I was figuring out who I was God and the universe was providing me two things. I was being provided with people who were walking the journey with me and who were meant to walk the journey with me. And I was also having people cleared out of the way that were no longer serving me. And one of those significant relationships in my life was my marriage. And <clears throat> It's interesting because, um, friends, what you don't know is this morning, Mims and I got the preliminary images of the book cover 
because we are that close to publishing. And we were looking at this image that we all agreed was like the one. And you said something to me like, you know, are you, are you taking this in? Like, I, I want you to be soaking in like the good moments of what you've created. And it's, it's been really interesting friends because I've never been more sure of who I am and how I'm showing up in the world and had so much upheaval <laughs> in my life all at the same time. But I had a decision to make. And, you know, when you take a flight on an airplane, we're given the same instructions at the beginning of every flight and their safety instructions. And one of them is that if there were to be a crisis, the instructions are that you put your own oxygen mask on before you put the oxygen mask on of a child that you're traveling with. And I find that so divine because I was in a space where I had to choose to save myself. And it didn't matter at what cost, whether it was the cost of friendships, which it has been, the cost of clients. I, you know, I've been in the beauty industry for almost two decades. I had to release that. And ultimately I had to release the partnership that I thought was going to be a forever in the name of saving myself. It's been a very beautiful and very painful experience at the same time. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, the book that you're releasing is called Journey to Soul Center, right? That's part of it. Um, but you know, when when I go, when I think back, when you were here in January, we spent time um, talking about what your vision for Soul Center was, and um, you know, we sat at the kitchen table, we kind of brainstormed, brainstormed, we channeled it, right? And it's that. For me, uh, and we talked about it before this call, right? What is living a soul-centered life? And living a soul-centered life, you know, you're a great example of it, right? It's like, you know, being so focused on, on living your purpose, living a heart-centered existence from a soul perspective. And it's easy to say that, right? It is... It's really easy to say, you know, well, I, I, I am living or I want to live a soul-centered life. But I don't think any of us really knew when we talk about that, what the implications of that is. Because living a soul-centered life really means that you dedicate your life to, you know, why you're here, living your purpose. But there's also implications. And what it means is that, you know, God, the universe, however you want to look at it, Look at it, will move people and things out of your way that no longer serve you. And I'd love to hear from you, just, you know, kind of give you a view on what, what is living a soul-centered life? Because uh, I've had a lot of changes around me and I'm happy to talk about them, maybe some very recently. But I see how much change you're going through. And, you know, some of it's really exciting. Um, 
but yeah, I'd love to just have you talk a little bit about what does living a soul-centered life mean to you and what are the implications that you've had to go through to truly shine your light and live a soul-centered life? So I think before I can go there, I've got to say the trauma ravaged me. I mean, before all of this happened with my son, and I've talked to you about this before, you know, I'm 46 now. And at the age of 40, I was very aligned. I was spiritually in tune. I was physically in the best shape of my life, mentally and emotionally, extremely stable and well-rounded and really felt like I had found my purpose as a hairdresser, um, as a mom, as a wife. I just felt like I had the fairy tale ending. Um, my husband and I had been married previously. We had worked through the pain of the past and moved forward and we were very close. And when everything happened with my son, all of the healthy habits, all of the work that I had done was just put aside. And I became like single-minded, narrow focused on my son's healing and and on his dysfunction. And I, you know, the, the, the disease of mental health and substance abuse is, is complicated. And I don't, I don't want to get too much into that in this episode, but I will say that um, in Al-Anon, which is a support program for people who have addicts in their lives, um, one of the things that they talk about is that if you were to walk up to the window and look into a home of a family that has addiction in it, the family unit becomes so dysfunctional that it's hard to tell at a certain point who the addict is because everybody starts playing a role. And I will tell you, I really started falling apart after everything happened with him. I was, I wasn't eating right. I was like self-medicating. Um, I wasn't taking time out for myself. I wasn't exercising. I look back on some of the decisions that I made during that time. Um, and, and I was, I was making shitty decisions. I wasn't in a good space and it took a while to somewhat clear the fog for me to recognize that the one thing that I actually had control of in the entire situation was myself and I had lost control of myself and it's unfortunate that I was in the space that I was because I believe that a lot of the decisions that I was making during that time led to the beginning of the end as far as my marriage goes. Um, but as I started to uncover the pieces of what had happened and the impact it had, I started to really dig deep. And the journey to soul center for me is the awareness that we only have control of ourselves, the acceptance of where we are and the desire to do more and to be more. 
And as I was coming out of this fog, I started to have this understanding that I wanted to give my kids a healthier mother today than they had yesterday. And so I began asking myself some really tough questions. Um, what was I doing to make that a priority? How was I going to take the pain and turn it into purpose? And so for me, it was about taking a closer look at my life and how I was showing up in the world and making changes where there needed to be changes in order to function at the highest level that I could. And so I had to walk through those painful lessons and start applying what I was learning in order to heal from it. So I know that's probably a long-winded answer, but I believe that getting to a soul-centered existence is about acknowledging where you are and having a real conversation with yourself about where you are and then taking the lessons that are in those painful experiences and applying them into your life to be better. But here's the other part. I believe that once you have started to uncover those lessons, there's a responsibility to share that wisdom with others. So it was, I need to go on this healing journey for myself. I need to, I need to face my shit. And I need to become aware of the part that I played in all of this in order to live in a space where I'm shining my light as brightly as possible. And it hasn't been easy, Nims. I mean, I know you've been walking it with me, but I don't want any of the listeners to think that this was an easy journey because it wasn't. It isn't. Um, I've had many moments where I've thought about just giving up. Like, I don't know if my voice is meant to be heard, or I don't know if I've, you know, implemented the lessons the way I need to. But I as I continue to do the work and I continue to serve and we continue to grow the soul center community, I just feel so fiercely dedicated to helping people. And I know that the tools that I have in my toolbox have saved my life and that they could potentially save someone else's. I love all of that. And, you know, if I just try and summarize Really, a journey to soul center is truly accepting who you are, becoming aware of who you are, and be willing to work on you, truly choose to live your purpose, shine your light, and to let go of those things that no longer serve. And if that means everything about your life has to change, then that's what it's about. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, we talk, we talk about, you know, the changes you've gone through, I get in a couple of episodes, but you know, you, you've had to change where you live. You've changed your business. You've changed 
you know, the, the friends that you have in your life, you change everything you're going to do on a day-to-day basis. And actually, the one thing I should add to, um, you know, to shifting to ourselves is, as well as willing to do the work and kind of release the things that don't serve you, is by having a strong self-care routine. Everything, everything is so critical to have that self-care routine, which includes some movement, which includes some meditation, which includes some, you know, potentially mirror work, journaling. But that's like your base chakra without doing and having a strong self-care routine. Everything else is 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 almost impossible. And, um, you know, the thing that to be aware of is when you're going through this journey, it's like a rebirth. And it means that everything you've learned, in many ways, you have to leave at the door and, and learn what you need to learn for this next phase. In many ways, everything that's made you successful is actually, if you hold on to it, potentially going to keep you stuck. Mm-hmm. That includes the things you do, the people, and your knowledge, because it is like a rebirth. So it means that you are resetting your values, you're resetting what your focus is. And it is a leap of faith. So when you talk about it, you know, kind of, it's a decision that you need to realize that it's going to have implications. Um, I mean, I think about, you know, my life hasn't gone as, as radical change as yours has uh, by no means, but I, look, I think about the people that are no longer in my life. And if you'd asked me before, you know, the people that, that you know, we could mention, um, I always thought they'd be in my life for years. Uh, you never know what's around the corner, but you know, some of the abruptness of, of the friends that, that I've lost is, is pretty shocking. And even there's an example just this year. I mean, I, I knew this year and I talk a lot about it that you know, January is really left over 2022 and the new vibration starts from, 20, from February. Um, and it's interesting, you know, was I having that conversation with myself? Because you know, the beginning of the year has meant I've lost sorry, have released a friend that I thought was a friend, but when you look behind the scenes, there's a lot more going on. And I really feel um, blessed that the universe kind of transpired to to shift people that no longer serve me. The human side of it is still shocking. You still kind of, you know, you question yourself, you look inside when you kind of, you know, is it me? Did I do something wrong? Should I have seen the signs sooner? Um, but I do believe there's a divine timing to the changes that, that happen in our lives. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for 2023. Like I said, the, the start has been a little bit intense. Um, you know, a lot of what I thought I was going to be doing this year and people I was going to be working with has, has changed. And, you know, Stacey, in, in many ways, you know, me and you have been the consistent in all of this through through the changes and all the rest of it but it's that the byproduct of you know the 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 change i was just talking about is actually when you let go of the people that no longer serve there's people that come into your life that either you build a strong connection with which has happened in this instance or the universe supports a vacuum and sends new people but i also believe when we're going through an upgrade when we're going through a lot of change the universe does limit the people around us to truly allow us to to go through that change with ease and grace. And um, yeah, so we talk about this. I think we talked about it yesterday. Really hope this phase um, is, is really 
more about shining a light and his more ease and grace, I guess, is the way to think about it. Um, and, you know, it is an exciting phase, right? You know, we've been working on getting your book out. What does that launch look like? Um, you know, kind of adding to our products and our services. You know, how do we how do we get the book into as many people's hands as possible? You know, kind of updating your website. All these kind of foundational things which are important. Um, but it is a lot of change, right? It's a significant amount of change. And I think there are times where I want to give up because I had no idea what I was getting into. You know, when I had the prompting to write the book, I wasn't thinking about the, mu the multiple times I would have to relive these events from the past. I wasn't thinking about um, promoting the book and letting people know that I wrote a book. I wasn't thinking about any of that. I had a single-minded focus on this image of one woman and her walking through the bookstore trying to find a spiritual but not religious self-help insightful book that would open her up on her own journey and inspire her to find her own way to her soul center and that woman I've carried with me through this entire last year. I've thought of her so many times when I've wanted to give up. I've thought of the fact that I don't believe that anyone in this world is put through suffering for no reason. I believe that those challenges that we face, those heartbreaking circumstances that we have to overcome are placed in our life so that we can learn from them, grow from them, heal from them, and then impart that wisdom to the others who come after us going through similar things. And that's always been my desire is to help that one woman that I kept seeing in the bookstore. Everything else is secondary to that. You know, it's, I have no idea what this next season is going to look like. Um, I feel a huge responsibility specifically with my children to, um, change the way that my journey has impacted them. You know, for many years, my theme in my identity was guilt and shame. And I made a lot of decisions in life based off of those feelings of guilt and shame. And I wanted to shift the trajectory of not just my life, but of the generation after me, my children's lives, my grandchildren's lives. And quite frankly, I don't know that my kids in this season will be able to read the book because it's still so close to home. It's still, they lived it, they went through it. But at some point when they're ready, whether it's five years from now or 10 years from now, they'll be able to pick up that book and see the lessons that their mother cultivated through this horrific and painful experience. And so I've, 
I've held that thought in my head as well, along with the woman in the bookstore that I'm determined for my children to have a healthier mom. And I am capable of giving them that if I'm willing to do the work. And so the book is definitely a memoir. It absolutely is telling the story of some of my life experiences, but the unique approach that we took was that at the end of each chapter, there's an open-ended journal prompt style question for the reader to really dig deep into their own journey and hopefully be able to reflect on some of their own experiences and how those experiences have impacted them and maybe be able to go into the healing of those experiences a little bit deeper with some of the key points that we put in this book. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, just listening to you makes me realize the importance of knowing your why. And I've, and I've heard you be consistent from the beginning about talking about that woman in the bookstore and finding your book and then spend, and also the second part is being a better mother to, than, to your kids than you are today than you were yesterday. That's consistently been your why. I don't know when you said it, but I just, I've heard it from you so many times that actually having, knowing why you're doing something, your intention around it is so, so important. Your why drives you, gets you up in the morning, kind of, and it's like, you know why you're doing this. So when you're in your deepest, darkest pain, that vision of that woman in the bookstore, knowing that actually, you know what, you want to be a better mother to your kids today than you were yesterday is your reason to continue. Mm -hmm. 100%. That's, what, that's sort of stronger enough why, and I've seen, you know, it's like, just, 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 you know, kind of as, as you're listening, I was like, oh yeah, that, that's just a good reminder that, and you know, that's a really good reminder to our listeners is really understand what's your intention and what's your why. Why are you how you are today? Why are you doing the things that you are? Because when you understand your why, and if you're trying to drive some change and be a better you, if you have a strong enough why, it drives you to be the best version of you yourself you can be. Mm -hmm. And um, as, as we think about, and as we kind of go on, I'd love for you to talk a bit more about the chapter we're going to share. So the chapter we picked, or I'd say we, I kind of encourage you, but you know, we picked a chapter. We picked an, an, a chapter relatively in the book, we picked chapter five. And it's called Running a Marathon. So can you provide some context to our listeners about this chapter? Because it's going to be kind of standalone. Can you share? Yeah, I would, I would love to because it's probably one of my greatest accomplishments. Um, I was extremely out of shape after my fourth child was born. Um, a year after her birth, I weighed more than I did nine months pregnant. And I went to the doctor's office and had a, a pretty eye-opening appointment where I understood the magnitude of how much I had let myself go. And I put on a pair of running shoes and I started the journey of learning how to run. And for some people that, that concept may sound foreign because you think you just put on a pair of shoes and start running, but that is not the case. Um, it was a very slow and steady process for me to go from a painful walk into a slow jog 
and to turn that jog into distance running. And I fell deeply in love with um, the hobby of running and made the goal that I wanted to run a marathon. And so I share the story of running the Baltimore Marathon, which was several years ago now. Um, but there were some significant life lessons in that process. And it was a huge goal. For those who don't know, a marathon is 26.2 miles, which is so significant and is enough to really break down the body. But I, I committed to myself that I was going to make this goal happen. And I share the story of um, preparing for and then completing my first marathon and what that journey was like. And there are so many life lessons in the process of running. Um, for me, it was a spiritual meditative time when I would be out training. Um, I was faced with a lot of different weather conditions, um, a lot of hurdles physically that I had to overcome in order to make it happen. But it is still, and probably always will be one of my biggest accomplishments personally, because it was something that I had to dedicate a lot of time to and had to have myself in the right headspace to be able to go the distance. <laughs> it was, really profound. And I share in detail um, the journey of that experience, the day of the race and what it was like to be in that environment and some of the roadblocks that I faced during the race itself. Um, it, it is something that I continue to make a lot of life comparisons to because, you know, there are so many people who show up on race day in all different levels of athletic ability. There are some people who walk the entire marathon because they've trained through walking. There are other people who go because they're trying to set a new PR to qualify for one of the bigger marathons. And so they run at an insane pace and blow everybody else out of the water. And then there are those of us who are at the in-between where We've trained, we want to run, and we just want to be able to see the finish line. And there are so many analogies about how this ties into the life experience that we have. And I tell one story about the marathon, and um, I hit a point where I didn't think I was going to be able to complete it. And I don't want to ruin the story for the Wait, don't share too much. Nope, I'm not going to share too much. <laughs> because we really want you to listen to it. We're gonna release that, um, that chapter of the book for you to listen to. But it's interesting, Nims, because when I was living all of these experiences, um, I was never thinking about sharing them with other people. It was you know, goals that I had in my life or challenges that I faced and a lot of them are extremely personal. So I would be lying if I didn't say there's some fear at the judgment that I might receive by sharing some of this, this stuff. And yet every time that I've thought of like throwing in the towel and saying, forget it, I don't want to do this. 
that same woman comes into my mind and into my heart. And I just can't imagine what it would have felt like if I had had a book like this when I was going through all of the things that I was facing. And there have been a lot of people that have helped me along the way and a lot of great books, but I'm excited to be able to share the inner workings of my life and how God has blessed me even in some of my most painful times. Yeah, it's really interesting. Obviously, I've been there when when you recorded the chapter and you know read it and all the rest of it. It's that you know running the marathon sure is what the chapter's about. But for me, it's also about having that single-minded focus on what's important and achieving your goal and celebrating your goal. And that's really important, right? And actually, a lot of the a lot of the self-care routine that you talk we talk about today on, on a lot of the podcasts, actually you cultivated during that period. Mm-hmm. And it's just really interesting how the universe prepares you and trains you in many ways for what's coming ahead of time. You didn't you had no idea that when you were preparing for that marathon, the things that you were learning actually you'd use in your darker times to get you through them. you were just running a marathon right that was your single-minded focus you wanted to get healthy but it's like the universe was preparing you because without i mean just again give you my perspective but without some of those techniques how would you have survived everything you've just been through the last few years oh yeah i mean that's what's so powerful and beautiful about uh, reliving those things, that that is the good part. I will say there is a good part in writing this. A lot of it has been challenging, but the beautiful thing has been looking back at those experiences and unpacking them and recognizing how every single one of them was providing me with the tools that I would need through the next experience and the next experience. And there are many, many times where I have tapped into the lessons of running a marathon and applied those in other areas of my life now. Um, The discipline that it took to continue the training even when I didn't want to. The the struggles of certain miles being so much harder than others. Um, The euphoria in the crossing the finish line and the, the feeling of accomplishment when that goal has been met. And it's interesting because I would say the process of writing a book has been very similar to that of running a marathon because I've been training and writing and working and pouring over this project for a year. And, you know, I've told people I'm writing a book, but I don't think anybody really knows what it's like to go through it until you do it just like a marathon. You just, you, you can hear about it. And you can take in the experience through the other person's eyes, but it's very different when you're living it. And it's, it's taught me a lot of disciplines that I even now um, apply in all areas of my life on a regular basis. Yeah, and that's, that's powerful. I mean, you talk, you talk about writing a book like being pregnant and, you know, you're getting ready to, you know, for your baby to come out. But the other way to look at it is, you know, it is that, you know, like running a marathon. It's also, people never know what's happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. As you talk about it, it's like, you know, you, 
on social media, people share the highlights reel, and there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And it's that, you know, when you take that leap of faith, when you surrender to, you know, to, to God, to a high, higher power that, you know what, I want to live a soul-centered life. I want to be who I'm meant to be. You are basically giving permission to the universe, to God, to source, whatever you want to call it, to move the things out of your way that don't serve you. And just something to bear in mind for our listeners. Um, sometimes this podcast should come with a health warning, right? Just to kind of let people know that, you know, if you if you want to, you know, if you want change in your life, change can sometimes be easy, but sometimes change can be hard, especially when we resist it. So, um, Stace, thank you for agreeing to share a chapter. I think I really feel it's going to help. I'm excited for your book to come out and uh, I'm looking forward to kind of holding the book in my hand and just feeling the power of it. And um, before we kind of close this part, move to sharing on the chapter, we always kind of like to finish with a couple of journal prompts. So I'd love to ask you, you know, what's your, what questions would you like our, our listeners to consider? Maybe as journal prompts, they want to journal on it. What are I those couple of questions? I think the biggest one is, what is your why? What is motivating you to make changes in your life? Why are you choosing to make these changes? I believe that without a strong why, it is really hard to accomplish the goals that you set forth for yourself because you've got to have a reason. You've got to have a motivation because there are going to be days that get so dark and you're going to need that reminder constantly. So I would start with what is your why? And then the next thing is what does being soul centered look like to you? What does it look like to you to be soul-centered? Make a list. What are the qualities of, of being soul-centered? Um, what does it mean to you to be soul-centered? I feel like when we get into these deeper questions, it is motivation to execute a plan to make it happen. Wow, I love, love both those questions. And in our last podcast, we talked about the importance of having a strong why. So it's intentional that it carries on because really your, your, um, your intention and your why is really what drives you. And your why has to be about you. Has to be, you know, it's great if we really want to do things for our family. and But you have to make it what drives you. And I know Stacey's why is being a better mother than she was um, the day before, but actually that's all about her. It's all about her being a better mother. So make it about you. What drives you? What, what really inspires you? I'm super, super excited about this phase, uh, this phase Stace. I'm just, um, you know, we're, like I said, your book's coming out soon. There's a lot going on in 2023. We're very busy. And um, we always said we want to be busy doing this healing work. So um, I never thought we were going to be quite this busy. But it's, you know, it's good busy. So I, I just want to send a lot of love and light out to all of our listeners. We're super grateful for you. Super grateful for all the feedback we consistently receive. If there's any topics that you want us to um, 
talk about, please let us know. Uh, as we've talked about previously, myself and Stacey offer a lot of services. We have the Channel Day 12-week uh, mentorship program, which is changing lives. We read Akashic Records. We do Akashic training. Um, if any of that interests you, if you want a reading from Stacey, just reach out to us. And we love this podcast. We love sharing our knowledge. And we love just being in the energy of the space. And Stacey, I'm going to hand over to you to close us out. What are your thoughts as we close this episode? I'm so excited to be sharing another chapter of the book with all of you. Um, as we've always said at the end of every episode, we love when you rate and review this podcast. We love when we get your emails and direct messages. If you want to work with us, send us a message. We're happy to set up a free discovery call. I can't wait to see what this new year of 2023 brings. And I'm so thankful to be on this journey with you, Nims. Thanks again. Yeah, I'm excited too. And I've just remembered um, we have shared a chapter previously. I don't know. I'm trying to see if I can find the episode. But so this is the second chapter of the book we're sharing. So if if it does interest you, you can um, go back and find the earlier chapter, which I'm You know what, I'll share, I'll share in, the, in, in the show notes. I'll include that as a comment. Um, but yes, Stacey, I'm excited. Sending lots of love and light out to every, all of our listeners. Uh, please stay on. We're going to share a chapter. And love to get feedback on that chapter. And any questions you have about the book process, anything else that, that we've talked about, um, please let us know. Sending you all lots and lots of love and light. And we'll speak to you all very soon. Bye for now. Chapter 5, Running a Marathon It became all-consuming to get healthy. As I took up running, I began to feel its positive impact on my body, my mind, and my spirit. I was aligning my life in a way that I had never had before, because to keep up with a running routine, you have to be disciplined. I allotted time for myself every day, no matter how busy life got. My goal was to successfully run a half marathon, which is 13.1 miles. Leading up to the race, Mark and I spent months training, excited for the opportunity to run with a large group of people and experience the energy of a race. The week before the event, Mark went out on a run and injured his foot. I was devastated. How on earth was I going to run my first race without my other half? Every training day was done together. Every time we hit the pavement, it was side by side. And now I was facing my first race potentially alone. A couple days after Mark's injury, I came down with an illness that filled my chest with a dry cough and made it hard to fit in those last couple of practice runs before the race. Nonetheless, I got loaded up on antibiotics, steroids, and an inhaler crossing my fingers that I might still be able to enter the race. The day before the half marathon, I made the decision that I was going to run. I didn't know how I was going to do it alone because there were so many times when Mark and I leaned into each other to complete a task, but I was ready to try. We arrived at the grounds of the race and I remember the head to toe cold sweat of my anxiety. I stood at the starting line, surrounded by all the other runners, their adrenaline pumping like mine, 
and as soon as I heard the buzzer sounded, I started to move my feet. My pace was slow and methodical, even cautious, because I knew that I had been sick only the week before. But even without the prior week's training, I was determined to see my goal through. Most of the race was run on flat ground until at the halfway point, we descended down a large hill. I knew that at the bottom of it, I would have to turn around and loop back up. Going uphill was always the most daunting for me. During training, anytime I faced a hill, Mark would be the one encouraging me. Without him, it was just me and my feet and the music playing in my ears. I probably moved slower that day than during training for the race, but I didn't stop. One foot in front of the other, I watched the mile markers pass before me. Mile seven, mile eight, mile nine. I gripped to the hope that I would be able to reach the finish line. My pace fluctuated, the air in my lungs burning, my body dripping with sweat. And as I came around the corner, I saw the finish line that I had been working so hard to reach. I searched through the cheering crowd, and there was Mark waiting excitedly for me with open arms. As soon as I crossed the finish line, I ran into his arms and wept. I did it. I did it all by myself. I did it. Even to this day, I don't know that there's been another race that felt so powerful because that one, I was running alone. The beauty of running is its rhythmic pace. As your feet hit the pavement, it's meditative. It gave me time to contemplate things that otherwise didn't get thought about. And it was a time for me to get clarity. It was my time with God. On some days after the race, there were times when Mark and I couldn't run together, and I would take that time to throw my shoes on and go out on our road, running past the houses of our neighbors. On one particular day, I was deeply struggling with the relationship with my mother. She is a very soft-spoken woman, an introvert by nature. I believe that she loved her children fiercely, but that she didn't love herself. It became challenging to forge a relationship with her because I was constantly looking at other people and the loving, safe relationships that they had with their mothers. I longed for the loving arms of a mother who would comfort me when I was in pain and cheer my successes. On this day, as I was getting ready for my run, I thought about how angry I was. God had failed me. He had given me a mother who found affection challenging and who rarely saw herself as the beautiful gift that I knew she was. As I started my run out in front of my house, I realized how angry I was with God. I deserved more. And as I started to gain momentum on the road in the open countryside, I heard God say to me, you're right. I didn't give you the mother that you deserved. And then he added, but guess what I did give you? He proceeded to show me beautiful mental snapshots of all the women who had come into my life over the years and mothered me. The friend who brought me a meal after having a new baby, the women who showed up and rallied around me when my marriage was ending and I had endless boxes to pack and move, the number of times when clients of mine would come in with a fresh meal or a coffee, 
Yes, God had failed giving me the mother that I desired. And yet he had found ways to allow me to be mothered through other women who came into my life at exactly the times that I needed them. This is the story that I have shared often with clients who struggle with the same thing. It's helped many people gain clarity on their relationships with their own parents, where we felt like we deserved more and God had given us more, but maybe we forgot to look at it. Once you've run a race, it's like lighting a fire. You're constantly scrambling for the next opportunity to set a new goal, a new personal record to go a little bit farther distance than you did in the race before. Mark and I got brave and signed up for the Baltimore Marathon, 26.2 miles through the biggest city in our state. It was something that was going to take an insane amount of discipline, but we were determined. The day of the race came and we were both so excited as we walked through the throngs of people throughout the city, some running the race, others there to watch and cheer us on. The excitement was palpable. Mark and I were as prepared as we were going to be, and yet we both felt so insecure. As we made our way through the crowd to the starting line, we looked at each other, squeezed hands, and reiterated our game plan. If one of us couldn't keep going, we would leave the other one behind. We were determined to encourage each other to finish the race, even if one of us couldn't. And with a signal, we were off. The weather that day was beautiful. The sun was shining, spectators lined the streets, and a refreshing breeze blew through the city. It was the perfect day for a run. We made our way through countless rolling hills, keeping a slow and steady pace, being sure not to leave the other one behind. It was clear how in sync we were after training so many months side by side. I wonder why being in sync out on the road was so effortless, yet we rarely spoke more than a few words to one another. Mark has always been quiet by nature. We bonded without the need for much communication, which was right up his alley. We would stop for the occasional snack or water along the way at the various stations set up throughout the city. And then we kept on going. Mile 10, mile 11, Mile 12. At mile 19, my body started to give out, becoming shaky and unstable. It felt like I was trying to run with cement blocks on my feet rather than my expensive running shoes. My run slowed to a jog and then a painful walk. I felt like I couldn't go on anymore. Mark, I have to stop for a bathroom break. We walked over to a row of porta potties lining the side of the street, and I waited in line, my wobbly legs feeling like they were going to collapse out from under me. Once inside the bathroom, I sat down and began to cry. I had completed 19 miles. I had almost made it to the finish line, and now it felt like I was going to have to quit. I was going to have to tell my running partner to, to continue without me. I pulled my phone out of my running pouch and saw a text message from my friend who was going to meet me at the finish line. Stacy, I'm here waiting for you. I can't wait to see you. I responded, I'm not going to make it. I can't go anymore. 
I'm sitting in a porta potty on the side of the road and my body is done. She replied, You'll be here. Doesn't matter how long it takes. I'll be waiting for you when you get here. I made my way out of the porta potty and looked at Mark. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but let's try to keep going, I said. We began with a walk and then a slow jog, and we kept that steady pace all the way to the last leg of the race. The finish line came in sight, and on instinct, we reached for each other's hands. As we triumphantly crossed the finish line, we simultaneously threw our arms up in the air. We did it. We did it. It didn't matter that many of the people, both runners and spectators, had already left for the day, that the race grounds were closing. It just mattered that we had finished, and we had done so together. Running had become a pathway to a deeper relationship with God. It was helping me to become a healthier partner with a deeper connection to Mark. It was teaching me perspectives on my relationships and how I was going to heal. I was ready. Life lesson. When you commit to show up for yourself, it has a ripple effect on your life. Creating a space for yourself and finding a healthy routine allows you to connect with a higher power and the energy flows into every area of your life. God always finds a way to meet our needs, just maybe not in the way you expect. Question. What adjustments can you make in your life to make self-care a priority. If you let go of your fear, what goal or dream would you pursue?